Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. What are we waiting for? Action! Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie and not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. We should have got Oscar. Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who, who the f*** are the Knutsons? He's a big movie sphinx about big men in tights. Roll that mother camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah! We like movies. This is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies Present Tense, as Matt likes to say, <laughs> Joker Edition. Matt, we really had to talk about this. We had no other option. In less than a month, we will have talked about American Beauty joker and fight club yeah uh, maybe we should just go ahead and do a you know woody allen roman polanski <laughs> retrospective while we're at it right or maybe a harvey weinstein retrospective something about james franco probably yeah, oh, yeah. yes james franco that's a whole other thing <laughs> i actually was at ucla when he was um teaching classes there and uh, saw some things heard some things but far be it for me to slander yeah that's fair the rumblings were always always out there with uh, mr franco but that's not why we're here matt although i'm sure he i'm sure there was probably a point in his career where he was shortlisted for this character right like they They've been, they've been trying to make a Joker movie in some iteration for, you know, probably at least the better part of a decade, I'd say. Yeah. Well, and just perusing the Wikipedia for this Joker, it seemed like Todd Phillips spent months uh, trying to convince Joaquin to do this. And it seemed that it was contingent upon Joaquin's acceptance that the movie was greenlit. So basically, DC needed that star. They sort of targeted Joaquin for good reason. It sounds like Warner Brothers wanted Leo. Phillips was insistent on Joaquin like that was his first and only choice for the role and I was you know probably reading the same Wikipedia article you were reading and I found it interesting that Joaquin even though you know it took I guess some convincing that Joaquin was still was interested in doing something like this like a a comic book movie definitely seems like it wouldn't necessarily line up with the Joaquin Phoenix brand but I was surprised that he was sort of like you know honestly wanting to be involved in a project like this before he was even asked yeah and another thing that you can wildly speculate about to what degree the movie's tone or how the story moved along or what Todd Phillips had had to do to the movie itself to convince Joaquin to come in. Well, the, the way Phillips puts it, and I think this is very uh, this is a very savvy way to frame it. He says, I didn't want to bring Joaquin Phoenix into like the comic book world. I wanted to bring the comic book world into the Joaquin Phoenix world. Yeah. You know, like I wanted to introduce that in because he really is, he really has become kind of a brand unto himself. I was went and saw the film for a second time last night with uh, you know, past and future guest, mutual friend, Ryan Julio. And we had this long conversation afterwards over many whiskeys about whether or not Joaquin Phoenix really is our our best living actor at this point. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman has obviously passed away and Daniel Day-Lewis has pretty much taken himself out of the game with his official or unofficial retirement. So, I mean, I think a pretty good argument could be made that Joaquin Phoenix is is at right at the top of the heap. I mean, he is he is got to be one of the most exciting above the title actors mm-hmm. currently active, right? I mean, he I was just looking at his filmography recently and you think about Inherent Vice and The Master and Her, which I would contend might be my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance. And then you look at something like this, which he may very well win an Oscar for in February. And you're like, wow, he's he's really kind of peerless. There's there's nobody else out there who's really doing what he's doing and doing it in such kind of a risky way consistently, right? Yeah, it's hard to even come up with a, with a counterpoint. You know, we have some really great movie stars out there. And, you know, Brad Pitt, who I always say is a character actor, he's fantastic. But Joaquin's range, I think, surpasses him. Yeah, I don't really know who the other options were would be. I mean, some people say Leo, but I think the same thing applies to Leo that applies to Brad Pitt. The range might not be there. I don't know. We t- for me, Michael Sheen's always in the conversation. That's just a silly one. He just makes me happy every time I see him on screen. Yeah, so you've seen it twice, Matt. That, I, I, f- I find that interesting. I had no plans to see it on opening day. I, I was not one of those people who was, 
you know, super rabid. I was more curious than anything else because there's been so much discourse, you know. Mm-hmm. And you, we had discussed a uh, previous episode, I believe it was our Ad Astra episode, about how you were concerned, you were worried about what this represents. You didn't necessarily want to be associated with the kinds of people who would go opening day. And I digested those comments and I, I was thoughtful about it. And I just ended up in a situation where I found myself in Hollywood going to a job interview and I got out and I was like, okay, I'm in Hollywood. I'm within striking distance of both man's, you know, TCL Chinese theater and the Arclight, debatably two of the greatest movie theaters in the world, certainly in Los Angeles. And I'm like, there's a 4 p.m. show at the Arclight. It's the very first one yep. on opening day. No, Thursday. It was it was Thursday. It was 4 p.m. on Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, I guess October 3rd. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's see it. And there was a lot of security. Like we had to go through metal detectors. I had my backpack with me. They had to search everything. You know, it, it was it was far and away the most involved theater entry I've ever had going to a movie. Yeah, same uh same here last night even that the uh, Saturday 8 p.m. show at Cinerama there was a cop on premises they're checking bags that yeah it was it was it was the, the most security I've ever seen at a, at a movie theater for sure but people were in a good mood and everybody was jovial nobody had you know makeup on or anything like that but everybody seemed to be you know just excited to be playing hooky from work or whatever at four o'clock on a weekday and mm-hmm. they were very very responsive and then I just couldn't stop thinking about it for you know 48 hours subsequently and I just ended up running into Ryan yesterday and he hadn't seen it yet and I was like let's do it I'm ready I'm ready for round two I, there's so much going on in this film. I I really want to um, yeah. I just want to investigate it further. So yes, I have I have seen it twice now, and I don't know if the second time necessarily taught me anything new. But uh, there's there's a hell of a lot to chew on with this movie, and I I am just enamored with the the discourse. I, I love what a provocation this film is. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that there's a lot to talk about here and we'll, we'll get into it. Um, I will say, going back to my fears about how, I don't know, maybe irresponsible this movie might be, which is a silly thing to say about any art, or just what it, what it would rot, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, those fears have been assuaged and that I, oh, okay. and I'll say that that's not in a, a point in the movie's favor either i don't think so <laughs> okay um yeah where, i mean where do you where do you want to start this what, what seems like the right place well i mean let's start with todd phillips okay so yeah, that's a good place yeah so todd phillips you know his 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 uh, debut feature is bittersweet motel right he comes out of documentaries he he, he was obsessed with you know, frat houses and, you know, campus culture and hazing. And he makes he makes a documentary. I, I'm sorry. He makes a documentary before Bittersweet Motel, which I think was just called Frat House, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he comes out of that. You know, he's, he subjects himself to hazing. He puts himself in, in, in this environment and he kind of emerges as sort of this like guerrilla documentarian, right? Yeah. And then he follows fish on the road and I've never seen Bittersweet Motel but I know a lot of fish heads who have and have very mixed feelings about it because apparently that that documentary is is somewhat critical of the band and of the following and apparently fish wasn't super happy with the way the movie turned out. Okay. Um, I don't know. Are you, are you familiar with the film or with Fish, or do you care? I've I've never seen it. I'm familiar with Fish. I saw Trey Anastasio on the streets in Seattle once. Um, and that he spit is, on you? All, no, no. He seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> okay, but that's all I got. Yeah, I have I haven't seen it either. I, I lived with a, with a bunch of like hardcore fish heads in um, in college, and it was always a big deal for them. But that just Fish was just never on my radar. Is that um, what they call themselves? I don't fish know. Heads? Probably not. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably fishermen, better fisher people. It's just never been a part of my life. I don't know from Fish, but I know that that documentary really kind of put him on the map and got him the opportunity to direct Road Trip. I mean, Bittersweet Motel and Road Trip both came out the same year, 2000. So I'm sure you saw Road Trip in high school as, as I did. I, I remember seeing it in the theater. Yeah, I was I, big into Road Trip. Uh, definitely loved Road Trip when I was a, a youth. That was, uh, and it was Tom Green. Really, like, Tom Green was the selling point, right? I mean, at that point, Tom Green was just red hot. And I mean, it's certain, you know, I don't think Breckin Meyer or, um, well, or Todd Phillips. Okay, Sean William Scott was in there, sure. I mean, known as Stifler. I mean, it was the, the year after American Pie. Sure, sure, so sure. Yeah, he was. Sure. He, it, he was, it was Tom Green and him in the in the trailers for sure. Yeah, even though Breck and Meyer is <laughs> is the protagonist of the film, or he's the straight man at least. So yeah. I remember Road Trip came out and was you know greeted pleasantly. Uh, you know people seemed to like it. It was fine. It was juvenile, but it, it you know moved along fine, and it had a fun little ensemble. It had some fun you know gross out jokes. Yeah, I mean, it, it was received exactly as you'd want a movie like that to be received. Yeah, and and a big enough of a hit that it got him old school, which comes three years later. Now, based on the fact that I was fine with Road Trip, but didn't you know love it, I wasn't especially excited about old school. But then once you know once I realized Vince Vaughn was involved, and this was you know Will Ferrell's kind of coming out, and 
and I, you know, I obviously love the Wilson brothers. So, and this is after, yes, this is after um, uh, Royal Tenenbaums. So, but yeah. this, but at this point, I'm like, oh, Luke Wilson, he, he's he's far and away the best actor in the Wilson family. <laughs> Not necessarily sure. I still feel the same way, but coming off of the Royal Tenenbaum, I was like, oh yeah, Luke Wilson is the real actor as opposed to Owen, who's you know more of a writer and a comedian. Anyway, Road Trip came out smack dab, and it came out when we were sophomores in college, so yeah. it was perfect. It just it it like it, it exploded. You know, it was it was a perennial for in, in dorm rooms and apartments for for years afterwards, and it was you know quoted ad nauseum mm-hmm. for years and years afterwards, and it became kind of just like an instant classic of the genre, right? It's a it's a yeah, college pan pantheon movie for sure it's uh yeah i've seen it on so many screens and houses that you know you can't even count it yeah exactly so so with the exception of bittersweet motel you now have frat house old road trip and old school all college movies so mm-hmm. he's kind of created this this strange niche for himself and the movie ends up being a big hit and obviously everybody wants to work with him at this point especially if he's going to be you know working in the comedy realm and so starsky and hutch seems like the obvious next step right yeah i mean it was a property that ben stiller was attached to and he you know right guy the you know right place right time so yeah it was obvious it came the year after old school so it was right away you know i guess i was kind of excited for it. that was sort of ben stiller at his his height but uh that movie kind of came and went and everyone sort of shrugged their shoulders and that was that it's not as funny as it should be it it seemed like it should have been a total slam dunk but maybe maybe everybody just got lazy you know like Mm -hmm. oh ben stiller and owen wilson on screening it we got vince vaughn uh as the villain we got uh, Snoop Dogg as Huggy Bear like oh this this is going to be easy there's no way this isn't going to work and it just seems like they just didn't do the <laughs> they just didn't yeah. do the work <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seems like no one's really applying themselves in that movie, unfortunately. So he goes into a little bit of a fallow period. He does, you know, School for Scoundrels. And he's kind of floundering. He does a couple TV movies. And and it takes him, let's see, 2004. It takes him five years to finally get around to The Hangover. Yeah. And then that just explodes. That becomes the biggest hit of his career. And he, 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 um... He bets on himself, right? I think he, I think he, he decided to forego a fee and just took back end, and it made him, you know, I think he made over a hundred million dollars ultimately on that movie because it just turned out to be a, an enormous phenomenon. It, it was a huge hit, one of the biggest hits of two thousand nine. Smart move. How do you feel about the Hangover movies? Because I haven't seen it. Haven't seen them in years. Haven't seen it in years. I haven't seen. So I haven't seen School for Scoundrels. Never seen Due Date. Uh, me neither. N- never seen Hangover Part Two or Part Three. Oh, interesting. Or, or, or War Dogs. Okay. So I, you know, after his early period, I sort of went away. You really because, fell off. Yeah. I, I, you know, Hangover's fine, but, I, you know, I, I sort of, I have my own personal backlash when something gets really overhyped after the fact, even even though I think it's kind of middling, you know? So I sort of stayed away. Yeah. I mean, I'd say Old School is the only one that I've ever really been interested in revisiting. Yeah. But I don't know if I've ever, I've, I've even seen it in the last five years. I mean, that's a party movie. That's a movie you want to watch with friends when you're at a bachelor party or something, you know? Like, I don't exactly. know. If I don't know if I'd sit down by myself in front of my laptop and watch old school. Uh, although I do think it holds up better than than The Hangover, but The Hangover really resonated with people for some reason, and it you know made a star out of Bradley Cooper and Zach Galifianakis, and I guess Ed Helms to a somewhat lesser extent. Yeah, well, Ken Jeong too. Ken sure. Jeong, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I got nothing bad to say at all about old school. I think I think it does hold up. I think it's really really funny. I'm glad it sort of catapulted uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah, you know, into the stratosphere. But after that, I, you know, I can kind of do without the rest of his filmography, to be honest. Well, he also falls into this weird place, and it's been interesting to see him sort of on the campaign trail for Joker, and I guess sort of putting his foot in his mouth a little bit. You know, like he's he made some comments this week, and then Warner Brothers immediately kind of like revoked his. His like press uh, pass, right? Like he's he basically has been pulled out of circulation and hasn't really been doing that many interviews based on what he said about where comedy is nowadays. And while I certainly can see both sides, uh, you know, I do think there is something interesting about the fact that you couldn't make a movie like Old School or even The Hangover or Wedding Crashers, you know, which I think falls into the same kind of category. Maybe even Forty Year Old Virgin would fall in there. There, there are there is a type of comedy that, uh, yeah, would not really go over very well today. I, you know what, I, I. I, I think you push I, back a little bit. What, I one hundred percent disagree. Like I don't, okay. you know, I, I haven't watched those movies in the last few years, so you know, I'm not exactly sure if there are jokes in there that would not hold up. There absolutely are. The, there's a lot of gay panic going on. Yeah, there, there's gay panic, and you know, paging Doctor Faggot or whatever, right? Like you can't say that anymore, right? I'm yes, I'm embarrassed obviously. that I just laughed at that actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but 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 I'm saying like. 
that's fine. There are individual jokes within the framework of a movie that you couldn't do anymore, but that doesn't mean you couldn't do that movie again. You okay. just have better jokes. Okay. You know? Yeah. So like, I, I I hate the idea that like, oh, I wouldn't be able to make Hangover now. Like, no, you can make Hangover now. You just you know take out the jokes that uh, are offensive and replace them with new ones. It's pretty simple. Okay. Could you make Wedding Crashers now? Because when you, when you think about Wedding Crashers, the the most the most retrograde thing about that movie is the premise, right? Like you literally can't you can't start the film because you can't make a movie with that premise anymore, right? The premise being that he's what I don't understand that you have these guys whose sole purpose is to go out and dupe women into sleeping with them by lying. Uh, yeah, I think you can make that. Okay, or, or the, the, I think you'd have a hard time pitching that 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 concept. I'm I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not uh, defending it or um, yeah. or anything or saying it was it was even a good good idea i mean I, I still think that movie is quite funny um yeah. but i totally understand why it feels very very retrograde now and feels very out of touch yeah i mean that's that's fair and you know maybe this probably isn't the, the time to go through this entire conversation no 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 but i think i don't think you can i mean i i don't think you could talk about todd phillips without getting into some of this stuff and you know for better or for worse he he was this type of filmmaker he put himself in this position these were the types of films he was known for and some of them were extremely successful and some of them are still quite funny and worth revisiting. And The Hangover became a franchise. I mean, he made two more films in the Hangover trilogy, and I think the second one is actually kind of underrated. I I, I found the second one to be quite fun and crazy and exciting and extraordinarily well shot. And okay, maybe a little bit derivative in that it's pretty far fetched idea to think these guys could end up in this same situation again. But I love the Bangkok setting, and that movie has some really interesting set pieces. The third one is an absolute disaster. <laughs> third one is just a straight up bad movie yeah it's a total cash grab so i will say this going back to todd phillips i i can sympathize with someone who has been ultra successful making this kind of movie and was beloved at the time then maybe he's hearing five years later that oh that movie's actually bad you know like that that would be uh, a confusing and sort of frustrating thing to have happened right and i'm not gonna i'm not judging any of those movies for having jokes that were acceptable at the time right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but to say that you couldn't sort of step up and work around that type of humor to make something good still I think is kind of bullshit right so so that's where I come down on that and, and I'm not sure how how honest he's being about him not being able to make comedies anymore I'm sure he'd get anything greenlit he wanted to right so when he made those comments earlier this week about in the current woke age he can't get the kind of comedies made that he used to be able to get made or he can't work in the comedy realm anymore you just uh, philosophically disagreed with his premise like you, yes. you you're on the Taika Taika Waititi side I guess if yes. there's okay uh, if, if Taika Waititi takes a side I'm on that side <laughs> Fair I'll just say that yeah. <laughs> okay I mean I, I found his comments you know provocative and I found them to be sort of in line with the um, with, with the thought provoking provocations that, that Joker sort of um, represents Um, but I'm not saying I I agree one way or the other. I mean, I I tend to be somewhat ambivalent and I, and I, and I tend to have a, I have difficulty taking sides, which is, which is maybe a a bigger issue that I have, uh, (laughs) a larger philosophical and political issue I have. But, um, but it is interesting that a guy like this, who has this kind of reputation, who used to cast himself as a dude who would show up in the movies and do twisted or perverted things, you know, Mm -hmm. famously shows up in old school and announces that he's here for the gangbang, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's him. That's, 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 I mean, that's how we think of him as a personality. I think he's done that so many times that like when you think of Todd Phillips, you kind of presume that's how he's living his life, right? Sure. Just going around and, 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 you know, and announcing that he's here for the gangbang or, you know, licking Amy Smart's toes or, you know, or whatever he's doing. I didn't see War Dogs either. I, I hear that movie's actually fine. Basically, he says that after War Dogs sort of became a flop and he realized that he, he wasn't going to be able to get movies like that made or that nobody was interested in movies like that, that he needed to potentially figure out something that was a little more commercial. And so he decides to embark on the most commercial thing you can do nowadays, which is to make a comic book film. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking about this so much the last few days about how, you know, Logan is basically just Shane with a mm. comic book character and Joker is just taxi driver with a comic book character. And I, I actually have been sleeping pretty well. Cons- <laughs> if, if, if this is where we're at and if this is where we're going, then I guess I'm not that upset. I don't have that much anxiety about it. If we're going to use these characters to remake great films, or we're going to use these characters to be able to explore, you know, gritty nineteen late nineteen seventies New York, a la Taxi Driver, or you know, the King of Comedy, 
and we're going to get to do it on this level with this level of talent, then maybe all is not lost. You know, I, I could be in for that. I'll show up for that. If, you know, if James, James Mangold gets to remake Shane and he has to shoehorn Wolverine into it, there's worse things going on in entertainment than that. There's scarier things going on. This is not the sort of thing that's going to keep me up at night. Sure. I mean, this is a this is a big conversation too, right? Because what it's almost similar to casting like a, uh, a movie star in like a metatextual context, right? Okay. Because what you get with this sort of thing with Joker or Logan or whatever is you get the shortcut story-wise because the audience has a history of the character. They know what the character is supposed to be. They know the setting. They know that stuff, right? So it, it sets up easier on a story basis than almost anything else. So that said, that can that can fool the audience, I think. And that can fool people into thinking there's more there than there actually is. Interesting. I think, I think Logan works as a standalone movie. I think that movie works incredibly well, even if you don't know who or what Wolverine or the X-Men are. I think it's a well-crafted movie. And I'm not so sure you can say the same thing about Joker. Hmm. Did you read the, the IndieWire review from Venice, the David Ehrlich one? I did, yeah. I have a very complicated relationship with David Ehrlich. He talked about that a lot, sure. right? It's like, what are we going to get? Like a you know a, a 70s uh, spy like conversation movie starring Black Widow or we get, like I that sounds great sign me up I, I hope that's what the upcoming Black Widow movie is I hope it's three days of the condor you know yeah it would be weird though and maybe this will happen and, and we'll see how it feels after a bunch of them it will be weird though if the mid-budget prestige movies that we've been asking for start to exist but have to have a comic book character in them to get made. Right? I think that's a very, I think there's a very good chance of that of that happening. This movie is going to end up being a pretty big hit. It's, it made almost, I think it's going to do 93 million this weekend, which is above the projections. And I think it's going to set a precedent for that kind of thing. I just want to say, even though I, you know, I'm not the biggest Todd Phillips guy, I'm super duper open to like comedy directors moving into dramatic material or comic book material you know we've seen it a number of times before i think comedy is probably harder uh than than drama and so i i i want to see this sort of thing happen and so i was coming into this movie with a very very open mind okay okay right um and i i think i kind of hate this movie (laughs) okay (laughs) good i'm glad because i kind of love this movie okay (laughs) so this is great we're on we're 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 sort of on a nice streak of disagreement uh over the last few episodes and that's good that's rare for us so yeah yeah. it is rare yeah i i'm kind of enamored with this i'm I'm really really impressed by this movie i obviously wanted to go back and see it a second time and i just watching just like god i'm just so impressed by all of this i'm so impressed by todd phillips i didn't know he had a film like this in him but yeah let's hear it what 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 are your issues uh okay i'll, I'll get some bullet points here okay. uh first of all i think it's the least fun or enjoyable movie i've seen since uh manchester by the sea okay right <laughs> okay um, yeah sure there there are zero moments of levity throughout this movie um it's very slow especially in the first hour very plotting deliberate let's say let's call it deliberate sure sure cool and deli- yeah deliberate. <laughs> that's the euphemism for slow i don't think this movie says anything it's got nothing to say especially nothing interesting to say there, there's no um none of the political stuff it, the political stuff is all muddled there's no message there's no theme i think that part of the movie is is a total mess and then i just have issues with with, with the character itself what's the most important thing about the joker right is that he's a worthy adversary to batman right is that he freaking scares batman is that he he confounds him he outsmarts him and the joker in this movie is a fucking moron he's a he's a big old idiot and and uh, he's got no strategy, no plan. Um, there's nothing cool that, hap- that he does in this movie. Nothing badass that he really does. And I just, I, I don't think if uh, this was a movie that, you know, in a vacuum, if we had never heard of Batman or the Joker before and this just sort of showed up and we watched it, I, I think we'd all be like, what the fuck is this? This uh, None of this makes sense. Wow. Yeah. No, I... I- patently disagree um all right let's i get into it. yeah I'm, I'm i'm on the total opposite side i think this movie works perfectly well with zero batman context i think it's a fascinating study of mental illness and a cautionary tale about someone who insists that they're not political but then becomes something of a political symbol and ultimately some sort of like social upheaval is birthed from you know seemingly small actions you know and how these things can sort of spiral out of control and how people can get activated by the wrong things and how you know the people who you you know you pass by or step over on a sidewalk could ultimately you know in very scary and dangerous ways become become the reason that 
social upheaval takes place or can, you know, can learn the wrong lessons from, from dangerous choices that are made and how a sort of narcissistic entitled person in power can ultimately create a context that will lead not only to their own death, but to the fact that their son is going to end up becoming a superhero, right? Like I, I was sort of against the idea of Thomas Wayne and Bruce, the entire Wayne family being involved in this story when I first heard that they were involved. And when he goes and sees Bruce Wayne, and then when they eventually recreate, you know, the murder of the Wayne family, I, I, I just in theory, I was like, oh, do we need that? This is a Joker movie. Can't we just focus on the Joker? Do we need the whole Wayne mythos as well? But then the more I thought about it, the more I realized, oh no, this is this is amazing actually, because we're, bas we're, we're positing that Thomas Wayne created the context that gave birth to the Joker, who then gives birth to the Batman, right? Wow, yeah. that's that's really interesting. I've never, I don't know much about the comic book mythos, and I know it's been, you know, there's there's many different iterations of it over the years, but I've never really heard it um, designed that way, and I found that to be quite interesting. That this movie, you know, I think you can you can sort of stew over who who the villain of the movie is. You know, is the Joker both the villain and the hero of this movie? I feel like this movie really kind of posits that Thomas Wayne is kind of responsible for the you know the downfall of Gotham City in his own way. In a similar way as The Dark Knight, this is really a, just as much of a movie about Gotham City as it is about the title character, if not more, right? About urban malaise or whatever. Let's get into that because I don't understand any of the motivations from anyone involved in, in the politics of this movie, right? So what, do we know anything about what Thomas Wayne has done to make the city bad? Do we know why the city is bad? Like what, what are the, do we, do we even discuss or go through the root issues in any way shape or form just seems to me that he is very much you know from an ivory tower perspective making you know delivering a lot of platitudes about the film but or about the um you know the, the problems with gotham city and choosing to run for mayor or whatever but it doesn't seem like he's actually really doing much and when he's and when he's confronted by arthur fleck he his response is is not to talk about anything or to be sympathetic about anything. His response is to punch him in the face. Right now, you know, you could argue that he's being blindsided or he's being, you know, being sort of assaulted. I guess in this bathroom when he's just trying to attend a charity event or whatever. But I do think the fact that his response is to get violent towards somebody who's asking questions or wanting to connect with them or wanting to understand and is clearly dealing with mental health issues. The fact that he just immediately lashes out, tells him to go fuck himself, and punches him in the face. Uh, that to me, that doesn't it doesn't feel like there's a lot of compassion in there right sure but you know and i'm not trying to defend this like billionaire but you know he has been annoyed by this person's mom for 30 years or whatever trying to tell him that her adopted son is actually his son this delusional person that he's probably been dealing with and he's you know maybe in danger uh being sort of confronted in this bathroom like that's but but again this has nothing to say about the politics of the movie like i don't know what the people are protesting at the beginning i don't know what the people are writing about at the end um i know it has something to do with how shitty the city is well yeah it's an in, it's an income inequality thing right i mean before okay. before the film came out there was all this talk about incels and that it was all going to be gender related but to me the, the movie is not about about incels or about you know men's right or anything i I, to me, it was, it really read very clearly as as income inequality in a town that is sort of like economically rotting from the inside, right? Which yeah, I, which so I think is a very resonant thing nowadays. I mean, this this movie for better or for worse, and um, there's certainly going to be plenty of people who say for worse, including yourself. I really do think it speaks very clearly to the now, right? Going back to my fears from a couple of weeks ago, that's what I'm saying. They were assuaged because if anything, the only thing he's trying to do is do some sort of kill the rich, occupy Wall Street, Antifa thing going on, here. which was not his intent. He said, you know, he says, I'm not political. This is not a political statement. It's about how society can, like I said, can pick up on something and can be activated in a very dangerous way. You know, something very small can turn into a movement. And I think, yeah. you know, th there's been a lot of people who feel that this movie is, you know, very dangerous or it's glorifying something. To me, it never felt like it was glorifying or celebrating this character. To me, it felt cautionary. This stuff can get out of control. This stuff can catch fire. Sometimes it can start just with a person who is mentally very ill and has made some decisions and done some violent things and then those actions can end up inspiring and spiraling i i suppose but again i don't there's no clear reason why the people are are upset or why killing the three wall street bros incited them 
right? Like, I just don't understand the motivations behind anyone. Again, the Joker himself is not political, is not trying to make any of these statements, and is sort of has no agency in, in the mob mentality here, right? So as a cautionary tale of how a mentally ill person can go about their life and be a psychopath and kill people, I mean, that has nothing to do with with an uprising of uh, of for income inequality in my mind, right? And I, I don't know, I, I just think that whole part of the movie, whatever the, the message is supposed to be, the cautionary tale aspect, was 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 not there. It, it, was, it was muddied at best. Is the Joker a reflection of society? No, I mean, they make it pretty clear. They go to great lengths to be like, this is a severely mentally ill guy, and that runs in the family, and as a result of childhood trauma. So it's not like he's, the city has, has turned him into anything. Like, it, it's all very clear and insular what's, what's going on with this guy, right? And then he said, and he says multiple times, I'm not political. So yeah, which is important. It's an important note. But he, I, I think that the film is, or the character is a reflection of something that is very, very common in society, in modern society. And we tend to just ignore it or pretend like it's not there or feel like if we ignore it, it'll just go away instead of like from a institutional standpoint, try to figure out what we can do to to treat mental illness or to help these kinds of things as opposed to just ignoring something, you know, like just ignoring homelessness or whatever and just hopeful that it'll just go away because it's it's dirty and it's grimy and it will require hard choices to, to potentially, you know, solve these bigger problems. And so I, I to me, his his just emergence, like him going further and further down this spiral until eventually he takes steps to becoming the supervillain, you know, the, the clown prince of crime, is just a natural progression of something that we just ignore and ignore and ignore and ignore until all of a sudden windows start getting broken and cars start getting set on fire. Okay, I mean, take away the whole supervillain master crime mastermind part here, then yeah, okay, that's a that's a fine cautionary tale or a fine point to make is that we should ignore the mentally ill um, and we you know we should ignore these societal problems. I 100% agree and tying that into income inequality is is probably the right thing to do but this movie's called joker right and and it's supposed to be about it's, it's supposed to be the origin story of this uh, of the most famous supervillain of all time right uh -huh. and there's nothing in this movie at all with this character that makes you believe this guy can mastermind anything <laughs> or have any strategic thoughts of any kind his big plan was to get on the show and shoot himself in the head and he changed his mind and shot the host uh -huh. that was it right but he succeeds at that he succeeds succeeds in making an improvised uh, murder yeah he does but but what i'm saying is like he's not the, the director of the chaos to say that this is going to give birth to a great supervillain like i there's nothing in this movie that would lead you to believe that'd be the case yeah that, i mean that's interesting i don't personally need that and i'm far less interested in that like i don't really care about an origin, a Joker origin story personally. And that's why I was sort of ambivalent to the idea of this film from the beginning and being like, I, I, do we need that? Heath Ledger already kind of was the definitive Joker, and now Jared Leto has kind of proven that you know we don't need another one. <laughs> you know, Heath, he's like Heath Ledger between Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson, we're good. Um, so at the beginning, I was like, yeah, I don't need that, I don't want that. And then I hear Joaquin Phoenix is involved. I'm like, all right, well, shit. I mean, I, I guess if he wants to be involved, then I have to at least take it seriously. And then you know, even though I didn't care that much about Todd Phillips, and then the trailer comes along, I'm like, wow, that's that's a take. I, I didn't expect that to be the take. All right, now I'm officially intrigued. And then it goes on to win the Golden Lion at Venice. I'm like all right, this is this is apparently going to become a thing. And I was so elated by the fact that the movie just exists on its own terms and exists autonomously of any larger DCEU universe. Like that the movie literally is just its own sort of insular, compact taxi driver vehicle. And again, like I didn't really want the Wayne family to be involved, but I liked the fact that it tied into the idea that Thomas Wayne might be responsible for all of this inadvertently. But even if you take all that stuff out, I think the movie exists really, really well. It's just the story of this guy and how things just sort of spiral out of control. I don't need the film to suggest to me that he's going to become the ultimate supervillain or that he's going to, you know, he's that he's this genius who's going to be able to engineer, you know, Blofeld style. He's going to be able to like mastermind all of this stuff and have this relationship with Batman down the road. I don't really care about any of that. I don't really need all that. And this movie, I think, works perfectly well if you don't know about what his relationship with Batman is going to eventually represent. That's fine. And I, and I agree that I don't need uh, an origin story and I like a, a self-contained movie and, and, and I want all that I'm, I'm absolutely for all that but the movie shouldn't go to such great lengths to prove that this character is incapable of doing any of the Joker type stuff that we connect to the Joker does it it, it proves that he's yes I mean you're saying that it, it positions him to be incapable 
of eventually becoming a supervillain and a mastermind. Yes. Because of the fact that he is so socially out of touch, what exactly does the movie do to make him seem so like intellectually inferior? Because he's barely capable of, of existing in the world. The Joker I know is is a sociopath who doesn't give a shit about anybody and want, is an agent of chaos, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And he does so in very interesting, intelligent, strategic ways, right? Like It's like expertly, meticulously planned stuff born out of chaos, right? To do that, you have to have some sort of agency over your day-to-day life, over your thoughts and over your actions. And nothing Arthur Fleck does in this movie makes me believe that he can do any of that or is capable of pulling off anything. I mean, he, not one point does he do a smart thing. He is not the Joker yet. Like, theoretically, he becomes the true Joker, you know, like the ultimate version of himself or whatever, you know, the inevitable version of himself at the end of the film. And so theoretically, wherever that that sort of mad evil genius comes from should theoretically be the next step. Like there's there's nothing in this film that requires him to be any kind of mastermind. He becomes this ultimate version of himself. He ends up getting on the show and able to assassinate Robert De Niro on live television. That's pretty much it. Like he doesn't really have he, he doesn't have the Batman to face off against yet. Theoretically, if you were to continue this saga and go forward, it sounds like they're not going to or they have no intention to, but they could then when you eventually introduce the Batman then we could see how this particular incarnation would interact with him right like this movie doesn't require him to be a mastermind yet because it's just a true origin you're saying that you say you would you just you just don't believe don't that this it. version of the character could eventually become Heath Ledger's version for example exactly I mean logically you place Joaquin's character here in, in, a, in an Arkham Asylum for 25 years mm-hmm. I, I don't see how that's going to completely change his brain in a way that's going to make him smart, right? You you put an evil genius here who who cracks and, you know, whatever, who, who we've seen be an evil genius in some sort of way, or at least hints that he could become that, and then give him 25 years to stew over it and come up with a bunch of crazy plans, then yeah, then I would believe it, but... I don't know, there's a lot of time to, a lot, a lot of time to read, you know, a lot, a lot of free time in there. Where you yeah, this really guy seems like a real big reader. Do some soul searching. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that, that's, an, that's an interesting take. N- none of that would have been a priority for me whatsoever, so maybe that's why I'm, I'm able to let that let those sorts of things slide because sure. I just don't care about the Joker in the larger sort of mythos. I'm only interested in in this version and the way that Phillips and Phoenix sort of approach him. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, I just fucking I, I was just riveted by every single thing he did and every decision he made and every step in this in this process of this very small story. I mean, it takes place over the course of what a week and a half, maybe. Yeah. It's just something that I've wanted for the longest time, and I feel like nobody has sort of had the confidence to be able to approach it in this manner. Very little CG. There isn't really much action. I mean, they, they're they going to end up spending three ti- almost three times the budget of this film on marketing. You know, the mm-hmm. movie's like $50 million, They're going to spend 130 just to market the thing. Besides a, a few murders here or there, there isn't really much in the way of action in this comic book movie until the third act, until the, the end of the third act. Yeah. So, and, and I dug that. I was really into it, and I felt like the deliberate way Phillips approached this uh, was extraordinarily effective in terms of, like, just twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting that screw, coupled with the incredible cinematography of, of Lawrence Shear and the and truly haunting score from, I, I think she's Icelandic, this composer who, who just did Chernobyl recently. Okay. And I, she's a cellist. I think she's going to be a, a big star in, in terms of, of film composers. Her name is Hildur Guanadotter. Which I'm sure Which you know that you know what that means is is that Swedish yeah. or no, is it it's is Ice, it Norwegian? It's Icelandic. It's Icelandic. It's Icelandic. It means okay. She's the daughter of uh, Guona. Oh, okay, that's how they still do it in Iceland. Like her dad's literal name is Guona. Well, my last name is Knutson. Wasn't Knut a god or, or a Norwegian god or something like that? Yeah, and so that's how you know a ton of last names came into existence. But in, in Iceland, they just still do it for every son and daughter. Well, she's our age. She was born in 1982, and I think she's extraordinarily talented. And I actually just bought. That her score on iTunes about five minutes ago because I just can't get it out of my head. And I presume yeah. she's probably performing a lot of that cello herself. Like, there's one scene, there's a scene in a bathroom after the first murders take place where Joaquin goes in and he starts to do this crazy interpretive dance. And there was something about Phoenix's physicality and the fact that I'd never really thought of dance as being a part of the Joker's sort of style before. <laughs> and to me, that was the moment when I really kind of like dialed into what Phillips was going for. There's just something eerie and beautiful about that scene and and all of a sudden I was like wow yeah this is 
this is different. This is something new. I, have, I haven't seen, I haven't felt, a comic book movie hasn't made me feel these things. I'm not saying they're positive or negative. They just were different. And the way that he carries that motif throughout the film, and I just I just found that to be quite original. Yeah, I mean, I will give props. I mean, the movie looks incredible. Cinematography is great. The music does a ton of work. I got to see it in 70 millimeter last night, which was awesome. Yes, yeah, yeah, me too. And I, I didn't think Todd Phillips was uh, really capable of something like this, you know, just just cinematically, just just looking at the movie. This, you know, I, it would have taken me a thousand guesses to get this Todd Phillips first <laughs> to show me this movie. You yes, know? yes, absolutely. I, 100%. I mean, yeah, if you just took this in a vacuum, erased the last, you know, three years of our memory and just mm-hmm. sat you down in front of this movie, I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah, I, I don't, he wouldn't have been the, although you know what would have tipped me off? Mm. Brian Callen showing up. Okay. Brian Callen shows up at one point and he, he always cameos in every Todd Phillips movie, right? They're good buds. And he shows yeah. up at one point, he's one of the clowns who's putting makeup on in the background and uh yeah. and i was like yeah of course de niro not not all that much screen time honestly basically just a a few scenes but he's he's a lot of fun as the sort of uh, jay leno stand-in i guess yeah and he's the connection to the king of comedy right which is the movie that that and taxi driver uh, those are the two scorsese films that i think he's yeah he's ripping off the most here and scorsese was actually originally supposed to be an executive producer on this film and uh, apparently dropped out due to his uh, commitment to the irishman although scorsese is a producer on Uncut Gems, the Safdie Brothers movie, so clearly he's not too busy to be <laughs> to be executive Whoa. producing. Too busy for Todd Phillips. I guess so. I guess so. I'd make time for the Safdie Brothers. Um, yeah, I think De Niro, I think he's great. I think he's quite funny and quite charming in this. Yeah, when Joaquin Phoenix shoots him in the head, I mean, it it, it really resonates. <laughs> you, you know, you were, you were talking about sort of metatextual casting earlier. De Niro's involvement in this immediately connects it to the, the King of Comedy, obviously, but just seeing Joaquin Phoenix sitting in that chair on a talk show immediately <laughs> invokes uh, his letterman, letterman appearance right yeah, yeah 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 i mean it's it's the climactic sequence of the movie right i mean he finally ends up on the talk show he's all dressed up and he, he shoots de niro in the head and then he goes and addresses the camera and, and it also you know starts to evoke network yeah and then there's this amazing shot where the camera pulls back and it's showing all these different news reports of people replaying uh you know this interview and then all the riots that are happening outside on the streets of gotham and uh, I, I found it to be just fucking riveting and scary and and i get you know it's a it's a provocation it is it is dangerous and it is potentially activating for maybe the wrong reasons but i obviously am philosophically opposed to anything like censorship and i also don't think it is the filmmaker's responsibility to hold the audience's hand or to presume that an audience is going to read the film in a potentially dangerous way right like uh, there's so many people who think that this movie glorifies this character glorifies violence is sending the wrong message and to me that is just a reading you know like i think those people are have every right to read it that way that is not the way that i read it look I, i'm happy to say that i don't think this movie will be all that triggering or activating to the to the wrong people because i don't think there is much of a message any message that's there is is, is a bit muddied you know i think it's kind of empty calories i think it looks good it sounds great it's incredibly well acted but i, I just at the end of the day i don't think it, it it amounts to much and i think it relies heavily on our relationship with with this character just sort of filling a lot of the gaps here and so yeah i mean i i do think i i, I want to see it again just see how i feel a second time even though it is a bit of a slog to go through it's coming out i was like that movie took itself way too seriously <laughs> for what was actually happening it is very it's very somber for sure it is violent and the the scenes of violence are i mean not just shocking for a comic book movie they are just straight up shocking for an r-rated movie i mean there are some cold-blooded murders that take place in this movie yeah and and it gets to be pretty pretty gnarly it's pretty twisted for sure and pretty twisted man <laughs> just like mr j himself know. you know <laughs> yes, well, uh, Harley Quinn does not does not show up in this movie. Luckily, did they, did they show Birds of Prey before your screening? I don't think I saw the birds. I've seen it because that you can actually find online, unlike Tenet, which you know I just imagine Christopher Nolan is sitting in a hotel room in India somewhere, just going through and just flagging any. <laughs> you know pirated he's going through reddit and just flagging every yep. single pirated version of the tenant trailer i have seen the birds of prey trailer and it's fine right it's fine i don't, I don't really know what to say about fine, it f- fine to less than fine i don't know but uh, props to cinerama no commercials just the tenant teaser and oh wow then right into joker here's here's my pitch to todd phillips to make to, to make amends for making a subpar movie here in 15 to 20 years he needs to do the sequel with joaquin getting out of arkham asylum and okay. Then, then, then I will and and give me 
make me believe that this same character could become. And do you want it to be Pattinson? I know we haven't seen it yet, but do you want it to be, do you want this to tie into the Robert Pattinson Batman? It sounds like it's not going to, but is that what you'd like? Or would you want the Todd Phillips universe version? I want the Todd Phillips universe. I want it. I want it. Because like, I I like the sandbox he created, you Uh know, like I don't, I don't mind the look and feel of this for a superhero. Right. Uh I just, I just, I, I think he fooled us with the sandbox and the, and, the actors I, I think he just pulled the wool over our eyes a little bit here huh i think we should get into what this might mean for comic book movies or movies in general going forward yep but i, I don't want this to seem like a rebuke of this style or this attempt i don't want i don't want to say comic book movies should all be marvel movies right um but i just i, I don't think the execution was was all the way there i, I do like the idea of of these mid-budget movies turning into sort of experimental superhero things but i do worry that those might be the only mid-budget movies that are made yeah i I think we need to be realistic about that or at least the ones that will come out in a movie theater Mm -hmm. you know that they can afford to be shot on film and can afford to come out in a wide release in thousands of theaters across the world which sounds dramatic but i do think it's important to be realistic if that's where we're going and if that's the reality then that that to me is certainly a little more attractive than just more mcu stuff you know like i don't mean to say like just more mc mcu movies i mean just more franchises that follow that template that is scary to me the idea that we get you know the the james mangolds and the todd phillipses of the world who want to make films you know want to make urban westerns or who want to make films set in you know gritty versions of late 1970s early 1980s new york the fact that they're gonna have to shoehorn it in or or, or, you know like trojan horse it in through the comic book back door yeah that's not necessarily going to keep me up at night i don't know i mean i I, part of me it's not ideal don't get me wrong it's not it's not it's not necessarily the world i want to live in but I I think it is a reality we're going to have to reconcile with. Well, just for pure sort of curiosity, you know, I would like to see, uh, you know, Michael Haneke's Penguin movie. uh... (laughs) Yes, please. Oh, God. (laughs) Yes. Give me that immediately. I love (laughs) it. Or or like, what what else? Like, yeah, Lars von Trier's Cyclops film or something (laughs) like it. Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing would be just very weird, but enticing in in, in its own way. However, you know, I can't ever see that replacing like our prestige film industry right um because i just don't think there are enough properties or filmmakers where it makes sense although maybe we will see more things get shoehorned i I suppose we'll see in the next six months what gets greenlit and we'll kind of know what the ripple effects are going to be right and i'm very intrigued to see how big of a hit this becomes i mean it's going to have a nice big opening weekend you know theoretically the controversy probably helped the bottom line this weekend um so it's going to do almost 100 million let's see what this ends up washing out at and and yes we will see you know where we go from here in terms of what we greenlight. I mean, we've been talking a lot about Scorsese, but we haven't we haven't referenced the fact that he has a new movie coming out and the fact that he made comments about comic book movies earlier this week, which sort of set the internet on fire. And his new movie, which apparently is a masterpiece and it sounds yep. like it is the spiritual sequel to Goodfellas that we've been waiting for since 1991. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a big deal and it sounds like it is actually going to be a, a legitimate Oscar contender that it is maybe going to be one of one of the greatest films in you know one of the more legendary oeuvres of American cinema but it's three and a half hours long and it yep. is a Netflix movie and that is how most people are probably going to watch it. So the fact that Martin Scorsese is savvy enough to realize that if he wants to keep playing this game at this level with the actors he wants to be able to afford and you know needs 150 million dollars to throw at the de-aging technology required of a film like this i think he's realistic about what it's going to require from him in terms of who he wants to get in bed with right yeah so you got you know your christopher nolans or your steven spielbergs of the world who are patently against the idea of netflix and don't think those movies should be nominated for best picture and just want to go they want to play in their own sandbox and the you know and and make films and the method that they've grown accustomed to and then you've got scorsese's or soderbergs who are like you know what I'm, I'm willing to have the conversation i'm willing to talk about this i'm willing to infiltrate this new world order from the inside out i'm willing to get in bed with netflix so that i can potentially push them towards releasing a film like the irishman in theaters like yeah. he's he's playing the game whereas a lot of people are just uh sort of closing their eyes and plugging their ears and hoping it's all going to go away yeah i mean a, a couple things here if you know if spielberg or christopher nolan would, weren't able to get the movies they wanted to make produced then maybe they'd be singing a different tune here Right. Yeah, and that's and that may be coming. I mean, there there may that might be a reality within the next ten years. We'll see. I mean, Spielberg and Christopher Nolan have a very important thing going for them, which is their movies always make money. 
Right? Yeah. If and, they and ended I, up in some yeah. sort of slump, then they, you know, they they may have to reorganize a little bit. And I've touched on this before, but I I the more I think about it, I I believe this will there will be waves to this, right? Because a the Netflix gravy train is going to run out, and maybe sooner than people anticipate. Um, okay. I, well, I, you know, they're spending crazy amount of, amounts of money. They, they right. they're you know they haven't been profitable, and you know their their bla- their plan, which they they set out years ago, was to in these next 10, 15 years create so much content that you could never. You know, you could never finish it all, and it would all, you know, you couldn't afford not to be on Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're going to continue doing all of these $150 million projects. Maybe that doesn't apply to someone like Scorsese. Maybe they'll always be in the mix for one or two big productions every year. Who knows? They've also got a big uh, Michael Bay movie coming out later this year, which I don't think is actually going to go to theaters. I think it is exclusively, it's this Ryan Reynolds movie, uh, Six Underground, right? Okay, yeah, Th- yeah. That's got to be $100 million plus right there, and I don't think it's going to screen in theaters at all not that it was going to be a, an awards contender necessarily but that's 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 a precedent right michael bay making a movie yeah. that's not going to go to movie theaters that is a precedent but i i guess my point is i think you know the more people you know deal with with the realities of being so connected to internet and their phones or whatever they will seek uh something tangible like going to a theater and seeing a movie with human beings so i i am not as uh pessimistic about the future of cinema as 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 some people are <laughs> so as i yeah. as i apparently am yeah as, as, as maybe you are too but circling back uh scorsese's comments were along the lines of i don't think superhero movies are cinema if he's talking about marvel films and he's being pretentious about the difference between i don't know prestige films and commercial films i suppose i understand what he's saying i also am not going to be like oh i'm so surprised that martin scorsese doesn't think avengers is high-end cinema but you know black panther nominated for best picture last year and there's a very good chance that the irishman and the Joker may potentially both share that category this year. I mean, I think the Joker's a little more on the bubble because... Clearly, you know, you didn't like it. A lot of people didn't like it. It's dropped, I think, I think 10 points on Rotten Tomatoes in the last 48 hours. Like, I've literally been watching it happen in real time. Yeah, it's like it's 60, it's like 67% right now. Yeah, exactly. Like, I literally, I was sitting there at the bar last night waiting for Ryan to finish work so we'd go to the movie and I was buying tickets on Fandango's and they actually put the Rotten Tomatoes score and I was, so I went back and forth through this website multiple times and I literally watched it click down like 72, <laughs> 71, 70, 69. And yeah, I think it's at 67, 68 or something right now. There is a chance that he could be sharing that category with the Joker potentially because there are a lot of people like me who really really responded to it and not that the Oscars are necessarily the end all be all but that's significant that and then in the same year that he says this is not cinema that a movie that is explicitly pulled from comic book lore won the fucking Golden Lion this year and could be nominated for Best Picture. I mean, with all due respect to Black Panther getting nominated for Best Picture a movie getting nominated for Best Picture and then not winning I would say is actually less prestigious than a movie winning the Golden Lion. The Venice Film Festival thing is a little, you know, I think they appreciate incend- what, what they perceive to be incendiary uh, quite a bit, right? So uh-huh, uh-huh. it just it's kind of a semantical argument. It just depends on what Scorsese's, like, what he considers cinema versus not cinema. If he only considers the top 2% of all films created as quote-unquote cinema, then okay, I understand what he's saying, but... If Martin Scorsese makes a movie for Netflix and that movie does not go to movie theaters because, you know, like, let's say Martin Scorsese makes... I don't know, Shutter Island, yeah. you know, for Netflix, or he makes After Hour, you know, like whatever, you know, quote unquote, lesser Scorsese. Let's say Scorsese makes a lesser Scorsese movie for Netflix, and Netflix has says, hey, this is not an Oscar play. We're not putting it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Is that cinema? If it's a Martin Scorsese movie that doesn't play in movie theaters, is that cinema? Well, I mean, cinema implies that it has to play in the cinema, right? So, again, I mean, this, this kind of a silly, is a silly argument because there's no, he said, semantics. I could rent out Central Cinema and go have a Mario <laughs> Kart tournament, but Super Mario Kart's not. <laughs> cinema right <laughs> yeah yeah good point we should do that by the way that sounds like fun they do that we should do that we should <laughs> that go to like one of their tournaments yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean you know we, we talk about this all the time and you know uh, sooner or later every present tense conversation we have always ends up comes back with netflix, with netflix. yeah it's thought-provoking for sure whether you love or hate joker i do think there is something kind of inspiring about the fact that people really turned out this weekend for a very provocative very r-rated very different take on something that we've sort we've kind of be, we've kind of come to fear in the age of the comic book or the franchise takeover. I right? love that this movie exists. I'm, I'm yeah, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to make that abundantly clear. Like, I, I love that this was able to get made and is in theaters and people are discussing it and talking about it. So th- yeah. th- that is absolutely not any of the issue I have. I think one interesting thing, like I was listening to snippets of some podcasts, I forget which, and this has been mentioned a couple of times, but some people are positing that, oh, comic book movies will never be the same again after this. And and that's something I just absolutely do not <laughs> buy at all. You know, it's not like people yeah. are going to see this movie and be like, well, fuck Marvel now. You know, that, that's, that's not happening. I mean, two different kinds of movies can exist within the same umbrella genre. So you're saying there won't be a BJ and AJ age? We won't, we won't look at the time before Joker. And- <laughs> Those halcyon BJ days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds like an old school Todd Phillips joke right there. Yeah, it does. I, in the similar vein, I mean, I like this movie more than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it, I, I do feel similarly about it where I'm just like, yeah, I just really, regardless of how you feel about it, I think it's a good thing that this movie exists. Yeah. I like the fact that we're going to make it a hit. I don't see Marvel like pivoting at any point although they are doing some weird interesting stuff on Disney Plus which is kind of exciting with their cast of characters but I, I still think their big theatrical releases will will stick to the you know to the formula more or less they've had which is sort of more uplifting quippy fair and now they've uh, they've given they've given Star Wars to Feige yeah, right which is which is probably great news I guess Marvel Disney Star Wars those guys are all doing fine there's no reason that they would pivot there's no reason that they would change horses midstream they've they've got it figured out over there the warner brothers dc thing is interesting and i appreciate the fact that they're experimenting wonder woman's gonna work uh aquaman's gonna work indefinitely flash might even work but i do appreciate this this one-off experimentation because i like the fact that they step back and are like okay justice league that doesn't work. People aren't into it. People don't want it. All release the Snyder Cut propaganda aside, you know, in unison, we've all said, no, thank you. I, I dig the fact that they're like, okay, well then let's try something else. Let's mix it up. Let's give Todd Phillips an R-rated comic book movie and let's see how people respond. Yeah, I 100% respect what they've done here and realize that, okay, we can have these two things existing side by side. We can have this like canonized Justice League stuff where it's sort of Marvel light or whatever. And then we can do these one-offs, which will have prestige filmmakers come in and they can pitch us their stories and we'll make cool artsier things and they have nothing to do with the rest of the story and it doesn't matter turns out people really don't care which is which is the right way to look at things for sure i mean if i'm warner brothers i'm reaching out to scorsese right now and i'm not saying fuck you for making those comments i'm saying Marty, what would you like to make? What do you want to do? You know, we'll give you, you know, we'll give you net, we'll give you a Netflix size budget. You look at all these different characters, you look at all these different stories, and you tell us what your take would be, and let's let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's try it. Let's make an R-rated Martin Scorsese comic book movie. There's got to be something in that deep catalog that he could potentially dig his teeth into, right? DC's kind of just less interesting than Marvel, right? Don't they have just less cool characters? I think you might just be basing that on the fact that they have such a checkered history, and Marvel's yeah. been kicking ass for so long. I don't know if they necessarily have a less interesting catalog i would like to see martin scorsese's constantine you know <laughs> yes exactly right <laughs> and maybe he would as well like maybe this is just maybe it's just a blind spot for marty and maybe if warner you know warner brothers went to him and was like let we're gonna educate you marty like we're gonna we're gonna give you we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna educate you on that on comic book lore and we're gonna find something that you're interested in and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fold you into this because at the moment the only person the only place that seems to be giving you the kinds of budgets that you like to work with is netflix maybe you should be on the warner brothers business maybe you should be in the comic book business yeah i mean at the end of the day it's a good thing that you know Logan first, and now this has sort of expanded the playing field for, for comic books, right? It's it's shown that the audiences will respond to things not in the sort of uh, comic book tone that has been always set. So it's it's really about the characters and people respond to them. They have an ingrained knowledge that, that gets them to the theater. And I guess I'll, I will begrudgingly give Deadpool a little bit of credit as well, even though I'm not crazy about either of those <laughs> movies. Sure. It probably has played a part. Like, I don't know if you get Joker without Deadpool becoming such a phenomenon, right? Logan came out after the first Deadpool. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't think you get Logan without Deadpool. It was the first Deadpool. R-rated, uh, well, you know, I guess we'd Blade. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you get an R-rated Logan without Deadpool. Let's put it that way. Sure. And I don't think you get Joker without Logan. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, we, So here we are. We figured it out. <laughs> All right, man. Any final thoughts before we uh, go away? No, I, I like the fact that we disagreed because this is a movie that is going to inspire a lot of disagreements and a lot of discourse. And I think that's fine. In, in the tense political environment we find ourselves in nowadays, I think we could all do with a little bit of reaching across the aisle and a little more open-minded discourse. And I feel like uh, that's what we've had on uh, this episode today. So right. thank you for that. Thanks for, thanks for your platitudes, Matt. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm just like Thomas Wayne. I just <laughs> just get up here in my ivory tower in front of my microphone and just deliver platitudes all day long. We can disagree, the two of us, without murdering each other on the subway. Anyway, till next time, this has been We Like Movies. Say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye, Matt. Isn't it rich? Are we a pair? Me here at last on the ground, you in midair. Send in the clowns. Isn't it bliss? Don't you approve? One who keeps tearing around, one who can't move. Where are the clowns? Send in the clowns. Just when I stopped opening doors. Finally knowing the one that I wanted was yours Making my entrance again with my usual flair Sure of my lines No one is there